This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. A science story, huh? These NYU scientists, they felt And I just thought, well, I figured it out. It was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey everyone, welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. I'm your host, Misha Gajewski, and this week we're celebrating Pi Day, which for anyone who didn't know is March 14th. And in this week's episode, both our storytellers are sharing stories about a very special number that has influenced their lives. But before we get into the stories, I have to at least tell you a couple of my favorite Pi Day jokes. So, What's wrong with the equation pi r squared? Well, pies are round, cakes are square. And what do you call it when someone gets a huge tattoo of a pie on their face? (laughs) An irrational decision. How many bakers does it take to make a pie? I feel like everyone should get this one. It's obviously 3.14. Don't worry, folks. I'll be here all episode. All right. Our first story is from Theodore Chow. It was first told as part of an online sponsored show with Ohio State University Steam Factory. But it was recorded in his apartment this year. March 14th, Brooklyn, 2004. March 14th might not mean a lot to you, but to us middle school math teachers, March 14th is everything. Some of us know this as Pi Day. Finally, a chance to throw a party and celebrate the nerdy math geek culture that I wanted my kids to have a taste of. Pi Day. And I I go all out for Pi Day. 300 fresh pies from bakeries all over Brooklyn, donated and delivered to my school. Cafeteria staff on lock, ready to slice up all those pies so that each and every single kid got a fresh slice of pie on Pi Day. So that they always remember March 14th, 314 is a mathematical constant, Pi. We have a day full of games, costumes, songs, and a digits of pie memorization contest. And I also made sure that every staff member and every parent who helped us out gets to bring home a fresh pie. Because that's how we do. Like Biggie reminded us, spread love, it's the Brooklyn way. I love events like Pie Day because it allowed me to see different versions of my students that I might not see in class. For instance, Jaquela, who in her signature black trucker hat and constant application of lip gloss, might be seen as a detached kid. But she was one of those sneaky math lovers. She was a kid I looked to when my lessons were going south. Sitting in the back, she had this way of getting the rest of the class back on track just by asking a question or showing her interest in math. If she didn't get it, then I knew the lesson was going over the kids' heads. You know, sometimes you meet someone whose presence just lights up the room. I mean, on the days Jaquela was absent, I noticed how different the tone of the whole class changed because her light, her energy wasn't there. She was always willing to go to the board whether she knew how to solve a problem or not. And just because she was willing to try and not be scared to make a mistake in front of the rest of the class, 
she showed all of us that math isn't about brilliance, it's about trying. And I knew she had her heart set on Brooklyn Tech High School to be the first kid in her family to go to college. And I realized my role was to help get her there. But on Pi Day, I saw an even more engaged version of Jaquela. She had put together a Pi Day step crew. And for real, they performed a whole Pi Day step routine, clapping and stomping in unison, shouting out things like, circumference over diameter, ratio. I still remember just falling in love with the geekiness of it all. Now, the one part that I hated the most about being a middle school math teacher, grading. Oh, how I hated grading. Grading is this horrible exercise in which you get reminded by just how bad of a teacher you are. Just a constant eroding of your confidence that you have any impact whatsoever as a teacher. So, of course, I always procrastinated my grading until the very last minute, grading things on Sunday afternoon, usually with the TV on, beer and pizza. Lots of delicious, greasy Brooklyn pizza. And I'd spend my Sunday afternoons in this pizza and beer pit of grading shame. One of the reasons grading for my middle school students was so stressful was because in New York at the time, there existed this controversial tiered system of high schools. As an eighth grader, you have to apply to get into one of the eight top tier specialized high schools. You have to take a pretty competitive test in order to get into any of these schools. And some of them look at your grades and your portfolio too. So for my eighth graders like Jaquela, getting in at one of these high schools is a pretty surefire way to get into college. So their math grades really matter. And all of this is happening while I'm trying to cover a relentless curriculum. The grades, the high school applications, the curriculum, all of it revolves around this big lie that we all choose to believe. We pretend that math and intelligence are the same thing. Like, if you do well in math, you're smart. If you don't do well in math, you're dumb. And I know I hate to admit this, but even as a math teacher, I sometimes internalize this, carrying around trauma because of something that happened in middle school for myself that made me feel like I wasn't a true mathematician. So on Monday, hungover because of another Sunday flurry of drunk, greasy grading, I started the class by walking around the classroom, placing these tests down on each kid's desk as they were settling in. I didn't want to make a big deal out of it because we've got to get to our lesson because we had to hit the scope and sequence calendar so we can cover everything for this quiz on Friday so we can hit the unit test in two weeks. Just keep up, just keep up, just keep up. And I hear a wail. I look up. Jaquela is in full ugly cry, bawling at the back of the room, huge sobs, gulps, tears. And I don't know what to do. I'm so hungover. <laughs> I just keep passing out tests. Just, I got to get them to every kid. Other kids come over and console Jaquela. And then I remember, when I was writing those grades down in my grade book last night. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, Jaquela got a 65. Oh, she failed the test. That's why she's bawling. I was paralyzed. Last week, we just had a mandatory professional development about how none of us, especially the male teachers, should ever have a student with us in our room with the door closed and how we should never, ever, ever, ever reach out to touch or initiate physical contact with any student, particularly our female students. I don't know what to do. I wish I could have consoled her. I wanted to just sit down and say, hey, all these tests, all these applications, all this homework, it's all part of a lie. None of it reflects the fact that I see you. I see your brilliance, Jaquela. And I wanted to give her a hug and let her know it's going to be okay. But I didn't. 
I froze. I think I grabbed a box of tissues and put it on her desk and say, let's talk about this later. I turned around, hung over, turned off the lights, turned on that stupid loud projector so I could start today's lesson. And I just went on teaching. I tried so hard to make math learning fun. And yet, I had destroyed one of my favorite students. I realized I was a fool for believing that I was the cool teacher that the kids love. All the fun activities, that whole celebration of Pi Day, making sure every kid gets a slice of pie, it was just a mask. Covering up that I was actually part of the problem. Here was Jaquela, a bright young woman from Brooklyn who learned that you can do well in school and you can make something. And she made everyone around her better. But because of some arithmetic errors, I think she misremembered which way the inequality sign is supposed to go when you divide by a negative coefficient. Small stuff like that. Because of that, she failed my unit test, which knocked her out of contention of getting into her dream high school. And now the system told her that she didn't belong in the club of who gets to do math. I had reinforced a stereotype that women of color cannot engage in mathematics. I had become a teacher because I vowed to challenge these stereotypes, because I vowed to break through these gatekeeping. But instead, I did the same crap. I reinforced the same trauma. Shaquille was never the same after that. She stopped engaging. She stopped raising her hand. She stopped being the kid I looked to when my lessons were falling apart. She never went to the board again. Not only did Jaquela fail my test, I failed Jaquela. I left teaching middle school at the end of that year. I just, you know, I was so torn. I knew something was wrong. Why were such amazing kids getting pushed out of the system? I learned that trying to be a cool math teacher and making math fun, it was just a band-aid solution and not the cure to a real problem. It's not about making math fun. It's about recognizing the brilliance that so many kids have and dismantling oppressive systems. In March 14th, it's still a trip for me. Every year, my students all over Facebook, all over Instagram, they find me and they always flood my feed with pictures of pie, lots and lots of pie. I get happy pie day messages all day long. I've never gotten a message from Jaquela. She's never wished me a happy pie day. And every pie day, I still think about her. That was Theodore Chow. Theodore Chow is an associate professor of mathematics education at The Ohio State University. He loves using video and storytelling to get kids to share about how they really do math, not what someone told them they needed to do. He's a former filmmaker, startup founder, and middle school teacher who now spends his time supporting teachers, writing articles, and using research funds to show that kids hold tremendous math power. And I think we all know what his favorite dessert is. It's pie. Duh. Actually, to be fair, I don't know what his favorite dessert is, but I hope it's pie. Okay. Before we keep going with today's episode, a few reminders. We have a ton of outdoor shows coming up, which is hard to believe when the weather in most places is still well below freezing. 
But come spring, we have shows in Vancouver, New York, Boston, D.C., Toronto, St. Louis, and more. So check out storycollider.org slash shows for all the details. And don't forget about our big annual fundraiser, the Proton Prom. It's coming up in Brooklyn on June 1st. Tickets will go on sale next month. We're also continuing to offer online storytelling workshops for individuals as well as private groups. You can find out more about that at storycollider.org slash workshops. Finally, if you're a fan of this podcast, and if you, like us, believe in the power these stories have to reveal the humanity behind science, to change our understanding of how science happens and who it belongs to, please consider donating to the Story Collider at storycollider.org slash donate. You can also sign up to support us on a monthly basis at patreon.com slash the Story Collider. Our Patreon supporters can receive an ad-free version of this podcast, as well as occasional bonus episodes and other gifts. We also have merch on our website, so if you'd like to buy a Story Collider hoodie, t-shirt, or tote bag, you can find those at storycollider.org store. Your purchases help to support Story Collider's work, and we're so grateful to everyone who helps make our work possible. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Our second story today comes from Debbie Char. It was recorded at Public Media Commons in St. Louis in February 2022. The theme that night was reverberations. There was this guy. This guy who had been my best friend since freshman year. He and I would go, oh, we, we hung out together and we studied together. It was great. But I was starting to think maybe there was just a little bit of something more than friendship to our relationship. So I decided to test it out. And I invited him to dinner to a home-cooked, or should I say, mod-cooked meal. Now, the guy, when he was back home, um, he's uh, from an Asian family, and so he was really missing Chinese food. So I decided I was going to whip up an authentic Chinese meal for him. So I got on the T, which is the uh, Boston's version of public transportation, went to the Asian food store, and picked out a box of shrimp chips. 
Now, the instructions on the shrimp chips, they were in Chinese, which I don't speak or read. So I kind of bypassed those. But right at the bottom was a translation into English. And that translation was just three words, boil in oil. Perfect. I could do that. So I got back on the tea, went back to my mod. And I got to tell you, I had cooked pasta so many times in my life. I was pretty good at it. Okay. To cook pasta, you take a big pot, you fill it with water, you put the pot on the stove, you turn the stove on high, and you wait. And after a few minutes, little bubbles come up, and that's called boiling, and then you put the uh, pasta in the water. Well, okay, boil in oil. That's what I was going to do with the shrimp chips. So I took this big bottle of cooking oils, vegetable oil, poured the whole bottle into the pot, put the pot on the stove, turned the stove on high, and waited for the bubbles so I could pour in the shrimp chips. And I waited. And I waited. And after a few minutes, instead of bubbles, what I started getting was smoke coming up from the, the oil. And uh, the smoke got thicker and blacker, and it started to kind of fill and billow through the mod kitchen. So I, of course, did what any well-rounded, educated individual would do. I went to the window, and I opened the window, and I waited some more for the bubbles. They never came. So here's a little bit of science for those math and French majors listening tonight. Um, here's a little science that I have learned since that time. So when you, when you superheat vegetable oil to 450 degrees Fahrenheit, what happens is it reaches what they call a flashpoint. And a flashpoint means that it bursts into flames. Who knew? So that's what happened to my oil. It burst into flames. Now, as a math major, I had studied something called the exponential function. Exponential growth is things that double and double and double and get out of control very quickly. And the example that had always been given to me was fire. Well, I had never seen the exponential function in action until that night. I watched in horror as the flames started to come up and they, they caught on to the cabinets up above me. And then those cabinets caught on to other cabinets and the fire was going around me. And then it caught on to the curtains in front of the windows. The next few minutes were a blur. I remember screaming for my roommates. And one of them was home. She happened to be a nursing major. So she had the wherewithal to actually turn off the stove. And the two of us ran out of the mod, bypassing the uh, fire extinguisher that was mounted to the wall. Who knew that was there? Um, so we got outside safely. And, and I remember hearing sirens and, and hearing alarms. And the guys from across the way in their mod, apparently they knew where their, their uh, fire extinguisher was because they grabbed their fire extinguishers. They jumped over the chain link fence and they were putting out the fire. And then the fire department came and they were spraying things. And finally, the fire was out. And just as the fire department was leaving, up walked the guy. The guy whose attention I was trying to spark with this beautiful meal that I was going to make. He was half an hour late. Well, now, this guy being a science major, he was uh, incredulous. What do you mean? You thought oil would boil? What do you mean you didn't know about a flashpoint? But not only was he incredulous, he was very gracious. He came into the mod 
And we turned on the radio and we were talking as we scrubbed the entire thing down. We had to throw away the curtains. We had to throw away the melted pots and pans. We had to scrub the floor and the uh, tiles and and the uh, cabinets, get all the soot off of the cabinets. Neither one of us got dinner that night. So a few days later, I was called before a tribunal of administrators from Boston College to determine whether I would get kicked out of school and not be able to graduate for my little act of arson. (laughs) So I I went to this tribunal. I was terrified. And I explained my story to them. And they talked it over. And their verdict? That I was ignorant, but not negligent. (laughs) So I got to stay at school and I got to graduate. So a lot of things have happened since then. Let me catch you up. First of all, my career. I became not a scientist. No, um, not even a nurse and definitely not a chef. But I did become a teacher like my dad. And uh, instead of science like he teaches or taught, I uh, teach math. And every semester, I teach my students about this fire that I started, partly to save their lives. I mean, you know, I don't know how many lives I've saved over the years of people who didn't know about this flashpoint thing. But um, also because I blame the translation from Chinese into English, boil in oil. What do they think I was trying to do? Exactly that, right? That was a terrible translation. And in math, What we often try to do is translate from the language of English into the symbols of mathematics. We call those equations. We solve the equations and that answers the original question. Well, if you do a poor translation, you get a lousy solution that doesn't make any sense. That's where we get those fractional buses and those negative numbers of people that people are always getting when they try and do math problems. Yeah, so that's what I don't want. The mods. I looked on the Boston College website the other day. Those temporary mods, 40 years later, are still on campus and still housing students. Yeah. And the guy. That guy who came late, but who stayed and helped me clean up. Well, we're still best friends. He's still cleaning up after me. We've been married for 37 years. And uh, when it came time, to get married, I decided that after all we had been through, maybe it was fitting that I take his last name, Char. Thank you. Debbie Char. Debbie Char is a math teacher at St. Louis Community College at Forest Park. And when she's not doing that, she's also singing with an LGBTQ chorus. She shares her love of books with preschoolers as a ready reader, cooks suet for birds, and meals for people in homeless shelter, bikes in Forest Park, tends a tiny garden, explores the city with her husband and rescue mutt, plays with her two grandbabies, and goes to bed early. I would too, Debbie, if I did that much. The Story Collider is so grateful to Theodore and Debbie for sharing their stories with us. The Story Collider is also very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. 
This podcast is produced by Aaron Barker, executive director and co-founder of The Story Collider, with help from me, Misha Gajewski, managing producer, education director, Nissa Greenberg, and senior podcast editor, Jen Chen. Special thanks goes out to Story Collider's board and the rest of our staff, including managing director, Anne-Marie Lonsdale, science advisory fellow, Edith Gonzalez, operations manager, Lindsay Cooper, and marketing manager, Nikisha Roberts-Washington, without whom none of this would be possible. The stories featured in today's episode were from shows produced by Miriam Zaring Halam and Catherine Wu, as well as Sam Lyons and Charlie Blake, respectively. Our theme music is by Ghost, and next week, Aaron Barker will be back with a special episode for Diabetes Awareness Day. And while this is the end of our Pi Day episode, just know that like Pi, we could go on forever with math jokes. Thanks for listening. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.